Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Tracy Sestely. Tracy is the former chief marketing officer turned chief revenue officer at Intellimize, where she brings a holistic perspective and approach to the organization to drive end-to-end revenue generating strategies. Prior to Intellimize, she has led teams at Fountain, SparkPost, CA Technologies, Cisco, and TiVo. Tracy has 20-plus years' experience helping go-to-market teams drive brand awareness along sustainable and scalable revenue streams. She has served on the board of Women for Wine Sense, is an active member of Chief, and co-founded a nonprofit for lung cancer for which she received a Bay Area Jefferson Award. She has also been an adjunct professor in digital marketing at UC Berkeley and San Francisco State University and has authored a book on digital marketing. Welcome to Revenue Rehab, Tracy. Your session begins now. Thanks for having me, Brandy. Great to be here. Uh, I'm excited to have you. And it's funny just reading your bio mentally. Anytime I hear the term TiVo in my head, I hear the book up, book up sound. Uh, <laughs> It is like, I still use that as like a audible sound reference. And like my kids don't remember TiVo. So like if I ever do, and they're like, what noise is that? And I'm like, oh, y'all are too young to understand. Like that was such a great era in television. <laughs> it, it really was. It, um, it's so funny. I, I talked to some people and they still have TiVos and I'm amazed by it, but it's, I think they're still, they think they, they still do over the air antenna for, um, and no longer they do they do cable and, and uh, ah. satellite. But uh, my understanding is that they still work if you still have one. <laughs> so. Interesting. Yeah. I know a few years back, I worked with a telecom company and I was really surprised that we were doing campaigns for TiVo. I was like, I didn't even realize TiVo was still around. Still around. But, uh, uh, yeah. So anywho, um, before we jump into our topic, I like to break the ice with a little woosah moment that I call buzzword banishment. So tell me what overused buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? Forever? There's there's a long list, I think, but I <laughs> if I had to pick one, I would say it's uh, attribution. Uh, it's probably something that I am an expert in because uh, I used to be a visible something or another expert when they were around. And um, but it's just a word that drives me crazy. And I think now that I've gone from CMO to CRO, it drives me even more crazy. So <laughs> we don't we don't talk about it at Intellimize just because it's one team, one dream. But I think that it just really trips up marketers as a whole to try to figure out who gets credit for what it's exhausting you know if it's working it's working and there's no need to you know fight over credit in my opinion but 
Yeah, I think attribution has been banished uh, on Revenue Rehab quite a few times because it is one of those words that everybody has a lot of frustration, in some cases, a bit of anxiety around. Um, and I love the the thought of one team, one dream. Um, like that, that is a perfect phrase. And yeah, attribution does tend to get into or feel like a battle for credit um, and less about the what's working, what's not. Um, yes. So I can say we will avoid the A word, at least <laughs> for this discussion. Um, and so I'm excited to have you here. You are a part of our My Journey series where I have found it very, very interesting to learn about how people have progressed through their careers. The twists, the turns, the unexpected changes, you know, the intentional growth. Um, and, you know, given that we wrote the book CMO to CRO, the revenue takeover by the next generation executive, the fact that you are one of those people that we consider the future of revenue moving from CMO to CRO. I am super, super excited to talk to you, not just about that step, but about your career journey as well and some of the lessons that you have learned. Um, and as we go into our discussion, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus, it gives us purpose, and most important, it gives our audience an understanding of what they will take away from our discussion. So for those that are listening, what is your best hope? What would you like people to take away from learning about your journey? Um, I think if you're in marketing and you're looking for your career path, no matter the path, I think something that has served me very well in my career is understanding data and how to tell a story around it. And I think it's invaluable for a marketer. And we hear about data-driven marketing, but it's not quite the same. Knowing you know, the questions to ask, what you are looking for, how are you going to show your impact, um, understanding what your impact is and how to dive into sort of those things. That really, um, I think, sets the the tone and the stage and it gives you credibility as a marketer as you're you know, going up the ranks. So I, I talk to marketers all the time, you know, whether you do content marketing or demand gen or graphic design or whatever it is. Uh, how do you understand the impact of what you're doing? And I, I think it's important for everybody to understand that period, but it definitely helps you sort of see a little bit of the bigger picture as well on how you impact other people and everybody's jobs. And it's all, it all sort of is this big giant cycle and we all have to work together to make it work like the entire go-to-market function. So to me, that is the takeaway I think that people should hopefully learn. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I agree completely because marketing is one of those uh, functions that has its hand in so many other areas of the business. And quite often that impact, it's hard to tell that story. Um, and tapping into data and knowing what to do with that is like so key. And being able to tell the story of your successes is also what helps you in your career. Um, so I want to start by just starting at the beginning, um, in how did you get into marketing? You know, was it an intentional, uh, this is what I want to do. Did you kind of stumble and fall into it? Like a lot of people, where did your career begin? So, uh, 
I did, in college, I did major in, uh, we didn't have, um, I majored in communications and government because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I got out of college and I wound up doing, uh, I worked for a software company uh, and then for a few years, and then uh, there was an ERP, which I did learn a lot about the whole, how you operate a business. And that was probably one of the better jobs that I had in my career. And then I moved to California from the East Coast to go work for TiVo. And I did a lot of things there. I started out um, in the customer success organization briefly and then moved to operations. And then I wound up basically doing operations there for 10 years. And through that time period, uh, I helped out the marketing team on spare projects if they had them. And uh, I launched uh, the TiVo Rewards program. I launched the gift giving program. I remember when I first started working there, you couldn't give the gift of TiVo. Uh, I learned a lot about achievement laws and gifting. Uh, and so that sort of gave me like a taste. And I went to lunch with the CMO there. And she said, what do you want to do with your career? This is probably some of the best uh, career advice I ever got in my career. Uh, Susan Cashin, she's amazing. Uh, she said, hey, Tracy, you know, you... Your, your resume is very deep and, you know, you can go wide and be very varied or you can go deep in one area and sort of make that your career path. Have you thought about what you want to do? And at that point, I may have been at TiVo maybe five years. And if I was interested in marketing, she was going to recruit me because I'd already done some work for them. And at the time, I really wanted this director title. So I decided to go deep in operations. And I stayed another five years doing ops there. And I got my title. I moved on. When I left TiVo after 10 years, I took some time off. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I decided that I liked writing. I missed writing. Why wasn't I doing any writing? And I thought I wanted to be a writer. <laughs> so. I looked at colleges to get my MFA. Uh, you know, I started writing blogs. Social media was just coming on the scene. This is uh, 2009, 2010. And I started writing, uh, I just started ghostwriting for people, uh, taking odd jobs here and there. I was writing, uh, ironically, a, a digital marketing blog for CMO. Uh, and I thought, oh, I could do this myself. So then I wound up creating my own blog and creating my own consulting company. And then I started getting some clients and I just started doing social media and digital. And I kind of just fell into it because it was a thing. At the same time, a few years prior to that, I had some experience with marketing already because I had launched a nonprofit for lung cancer. And I had to find ways to promote it. So that's how I sort of fell into the social media realm in the first place. So by the time a few years later came around, I already knew more than the average person because I was already playing with it very, very early on. And so that made me, it gave me some sort of credibility, I guess, when I was writing or when I spoke to people. And then I got, you know, I sort of fell into it from there. The big transition when I went to go work for a company doing marketing was, um, with CA Technologies and Cisco, I did as part of, um, they were two of my clients when I was doing consulting work and had my own company. And then from there, I went to SparkPost and then I went to Fountain and now I'm in Intelmi. So 
that's how I sort of fell into the marketing. I hadn't, I, I basically switched to marketing from operations probably 15, almost 15 years ago. I tell people that if you're an ops, you actually don't like marketers um, or customer success people because they want everything yesterday. And then I just became that person that I don't like. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I became that person. But it actually helped me through my career because I actually understood what the caveats were when you're talking to product and engineering and developers and you're trying to get things done. And, you know, I could speak the speak and, and get the ask done, even though I knew that my request would probably put on the bottom of the barrel, but at least, you know, it was a, a better camaraderie to get things done. So I think that helped me also throughout my career. And that's how I got into marketing. So long-winded answer, but it's true. <laughs> no, it's, ve it's very interesting um, because I do agree that like kind of having that well-rounded background of understanding, you know, operations and all the things that go into getting it done. Um, I feel like it allows you to be better in driving, you know, prioritizing what should be done, how you're communicating the importance and value, like, you know, what's happening, you know, when you hand something off. And I think that that helps a lot. Um, and so thinking about your roles in marketing, at what point did you move into marketing leadership and, and really starting to drive things from organizations? Because I can see from your background, you've had a number of CMO roles. Um, what was that transition from you know being individual contributor to being leader? At SparkPost, I moved in. I actually came over to SparkPost as like a, a lower level management, uh, middle management, and then I moved into to leading there. Uh, I, it's funny because at the time, I remember applying at SparkPost. It was a, a mile from my house. I could walk to work. And at the time, I had been commuting because I was consulting and I was going all over, over the place in the Bay Area. And I really just wanted to walk to work. How cool would that be to just be able to walk out of your house, right? And, you know, this is pre-pandemic, right? So, uh, and at the time, it seemed lovely. And so... I applied and I remember saying to the recruiter, I'm overqualified for this job, but this is why you should hire me. And she called me and she said, you know, she goes, that line made me call you. And I, and I thought, interesting. I'm like, well, it's true. You should hire me because I am overqualified for this job. It was a digital marketing role and which I could do pretty much in my sleep. But at the time that was the right thing that I needed in my life at the time. And so I needed something that I could do I could make an impact and I didn't, it's funny, I knew a lot about marketing, but I didn't know a lot about email deliverability. I knew a lot about email. Uh, and so I learned a lot there, uh, not only about another facet of marketing, it's one of the reasons why I took the job just so I could learn more about email. Um, but also, it also gave me an opportunity. I tried to keep my head down. I wasn't really looking for leadership when I went to that job. Um, but the uh, CMO at the time, Steve, kind of recognized that I had some hidden talent that I was hiding and he, he, he promoted me. So. Um, two things that you've, or one thing that you've talked about kind of twice in telling your story uh, is that you have taken those moments to self-reflect on, you know, what's actually right for you in the next step. Like you talked about 
leaving TiVo and taking that time to consult and figure it out of, you know, the, I always call it the, what do I want to be when I grow up uh, moment. Yeah. And then even, you know, recognizing that being close to home and, you know, almost taking what some would consider a step back was the right thing for you. And I think that's a really valuable lesson that people don't always lean into. You know, sometimes we get caught up in the like always moving forward. Like I got to go to the next title. I got to make more money. I got to, you know, it's this like constant grind of like what's next. Um, so I'd love to hear if you have any advice or thoughts around how you recognize those moments for yourself where you were like, let me reevaluate or pause to actually say like, what is the right next thing for me instead of just the, you know, constant grind forward? Yeah, I think it's hard for people to take a break and sit back and consider that. It, it does take literally taking time off. Um, I, I always recommend people when you kind of feel like you're burned out, maybe go take a staycation or something and try to decompress and really give it some thought about what you want to do. It doesn't always come to you in the moment. Uh, I remember, I think it took me four or five months to figure out uh, when I left TiVo, what I kind of really wanted to do before I started doing some, some real marketing work. I, I think it's, we, at different points in your career, there are different things that are important to you. And you know, you've been through this too, right? As you're climbing the ladder, title's important. When you're younger, making money's important. As you get older, things happen in your life, whether you have a family, sick parents, whatever. Other priorities take, all of a sudden, different things become more important than than just work, right? You're, you're I think when you're young, you're, you're working uh, to live, right? And you're you need working to survive. Um, as you get older, you you kind of want to sort of figure out you want to enjoy your work. Right. And, and it, and you kind of have the opportunity to become more picky because you've been, you're, you have more experience, but it, I remember when I was at TiVo, my mom was sick and she lived on the other side of the country. And how was I going to be there for my mom as well as, you know, work because I really wanted to succeed and I had rent to pay. And TiVo was really kind to me. They let me work one week remotely when this is when remote work was not a thing at all. Um, it was a giant deal to let me work one week a month across the country. And I really thought of that as a gift, but I couldn't really think about what my next career move was going to be. I was just so grateful for the time. After that happened, you sort of reevaluate like what's important in your life. And I, I sort of look at that time and even uh, when I went to go work for SparkPost, like I was at a time in my life where, you know, things were happening personally in my life. I kind of wanted to not uh, be in the grind. I, I kind of wanted to do something where I could make a contribution and sort of figure out what it was that I did want to do next. And that was one of the reasons why I took the job. Another reason why I took the job at SparkPost because um, I did know how to do that work and it, it was something that I enjoyed, but 
I wasn't sure if that was the only thing. Like, was I going to go do digital marketing for the rest of my career? I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I was sort of like at a crossroads. I think we all hit those at some point in our career. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to work at a company that you are good at what you do, like, it's not going to take you 40 hours a week to do that job. Right. Right. So you have some time to figure it out. But I think if you have time to reflect, it's always good. Um, I try to do it, you know, once a year to figure out like, hey, every every job, like there's things that you like, there are things that you don't like. Um, when I was moving from Fountain to Intellimize, I think I interviewed over 55 CEOs of who I wanted to work for. And I had a list of questions and not every CEO made the cut. There were there were a handful that did that I that I liked, but for whatever reason it didn't work out. And it's interesting because I think as you're going through your career, you you feel like you're being interviewed and you prepare for all of that. But also you need to interview the company and and the person you're working for. And so what is that gonna be like? Because culture is very important, as we know, and nobody wants to be miserable. Um, so I think, yeah, I also feel that I could take this in a zillion directions, but like <laughs> as a female climbing the ladder, as a female leader, it's really hard. Um, I mean, you know this, and it's even harder for people of color and being female as well. And so, you know, you really need to figure out what it is that you want to receive back from a company as well as what you can give. And it's yeah. a two-way relationship for me. And I think it took me a long time to learn that. Yeah. And that is so important. I have, uh, you know, some of my, my older kids are in their early 20s. So, uh, you know, just starting their careers. And that is one of the lessons I try to really instill in them is, yeah, you're just starting out. So you may end up taking some roles that are less than ideal because, you know, you got to get your feet wet and get experience. It's like, but when you're going into an interview, you are interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing yourself. And, yeah. you know, I had a mentor tell me that very early on. Um, and so I've been fortunate to, you know, being an African-American woman, I have had less impact of being a minority than most of my counterparts. And I would largely attribute that to the fact that I would really look at companies and leaders and, un, you know, and really like discern, can I thrive here? And, yeah. you know, I turned down roles early on where, you know, like my mom used to laugh because I would wear red stilettos to interviews and I wouldn't take my tongue ring out. And, you know, she would be like cringing, like, oh, my God, you can't do that. But I'm I love like, it. I'm like, this is who I am as a person. And I was like, if my shoe choice and the fact that I have a tongue ring is going to be a problem, I don't want them to hire me because exactly. I'm going to get in and then it's going to create friction. And, you know, and, and so I purposely did things like that to almost turn people off up front. If I'm going to, if who I am is going to be a problem for you, you know, I don't want to be here. And so I have tried to really instill that in my kids as well, because you're right. It is, you know, it is a little bit of an uphill climb. And it's like, if you can, you know, make that ladder have a little more comfortable climb, it, you know, it, it is a little bit easier. And it's not just physical appearance either, right? I mean, 
I'm very direct. If you, when you interview me, I'm a super direct person. I'm, I think I'm down to earth, but I'm very direct in my response. And, you know, some, some CEOs don't want that. They want yes people. They want people that are, I hate to say it, but subservient. And that's not who I am. I remember when I got hired in Intelemise, I told my CEO, I said, if you are looking for somebody who's going to, you know, give me the yes answer, that's not who I am. I'm not that person. And he was like, oh my God, no, I don't want that. And, you know, I know a lot of people say that they want honesty and directness, and most of the time it's not true, but it actually is true where I am. And I'm grateful for it because it allows me to be who I am. Some some people can't handle it. Their ego can't handle it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, I think we all go to jobs with the best intention to try to make that company best company ever, right? That's, that's what we're going there for. We're not going there to, you know, for some ego boost, we're trying to do the best job we can. We're marketers, we love what we do anyways, right? Uh, and it's just so interesting that, you know, sometimes, you know, there's personality clashes, right? For whatever reason, maybe they don't like your tongue ring, maybe they don't like your personality, whatever it is, but then there's a better place for you somewhere else. So you should go, you know? Yes. I agree wholeheartedly. So I want to fast forward a bit to Intelmize um, and your transition from CMO to CRO. And is that something that you sought? Like, was that your goal to move into that role? Um, was, you know, how did that transition come about? It is not something that I sought uh, out. I... It, it kind of fell in my lap. We had a sales leader who had been there for several years. He had left. The CEO was running sales for a little while. And I had had um, a pretty good relationship with sales. I always try to have a really good relationship with sales from a marketing perspective, because to me, when you have that relationship, it just makes everything so much easier, you know? And, uh, he said, you know, I have some other things that I could be doing. Would you be interested in what do you think about running sales? And I, I had to think about it for a while. Uh, I took a few weeks to reflect and think, do I really want this? Because I think as a CMO, if you're already crushing your number in marketing and then you're go now you're saying, OK, yes, I I'm doing this. I'm comfortable. I've, I'm. It's working. I have this flywheel working like a fine oil machine. And now you want me to go take on the full number, like everything. And it's a lot of responsibility. And I wasn't sure that I wanted it. Uh, and then I thought, well, I love this company. I want to make them successful. Why not? I'll give it a shot. I think there are a couple of reasons why I said yes. Is first of all, the culture at Intelmize is like none other that I've ever worked. Um, it is such a kind, respectful environment to work in that if I was going to fail, uh, which so far I've been successful in Lockwood, <laughs> but if I were going to fail, uh, I, it felt like a safe environment to do that in. And I also really love working for my CEO. He's just the kindest human. And so I, he's a very good thought partner. And I think that that's important if you're going to make that transition. 
um, to have a good relationship with your CEO and have a good relationship with finance. Um, because that, that makes, that's all that the CRO does. Right. And those are the reasons why I, I said yes and tried it. And it's been eight months. It's been going, been going good so far. <laughs> awesome. Um, so thinking about like what the role looks like, um, you know, some of the things that I have observed in terms of why it is great to have, you know, that whole number be responsible for one person or, or by one person is your ability to really assess what the revenue team needs. So thinking about it as a single team, um, that one team, one dream, and being able to make clear decisions about where you need to allot your resources or you know which levers you need to pull to hit goals. And so I'd love to hear any of your experience around how that's been different now that you're CRO versus you know when you were just responsible for the marketing numbers. So weirdly enough, when I came to Intellimize and I was running marketing, uh, I also inherited and owned all of operations. So it was centralized. And so sales ops, as well as marketing ops and CS ops fell under my purview, which was comfortable for me because I have an ops background. I can't imagine that it's comfortable for every CMO. Uh, but I was pretty comfortable with it. And I asked the sales leader if he would like to own Salesforce. And he said, not really. Uh, and I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll take it. And we had one person running everything. Um, I decided to bring in a few others to help out with uh, getting things set up the way that I think that they should be set up and uh, and just cleaning up the data. So and I, I say this for every to every CMO that I talk to who's going into a new role. Like the most important thing you can do is is get your data in order. You can't make data driven decisions if the data isn't good or you don't trust it. And when I first came in, I didn't fully trust the data because it some things didn't make sense to me. So I brought in somebody who I have worked with for nine years. Uh, and we sort of set things up and I had another person that had worked for me for several years and they had worked together previously. So it was, uh, we sort of got the ops sort of cleaned up and in place. And by doing that, it gave me very clear insight into what, what the issues were on the marketing side, what the issues were on the sales side. Then I had a holistic picture. Everybody had a holistic picture because we shared the dashboards with the whole company. Um, and to me that, is one of the key things that you have to do to 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 understand that it's in terms of levers um one of the things i did when i became zero was change the sales process i didn't i thought it was too lengthy for what we were trying to accomplish um so i you know lowered the number of stages and uh had everybody sort of trained up on the new new process it's much shorter much easier um lead time shrunk uh, for deal velocity increase. So it was uh, better as a whole. And I think those are just some of the improvements that, I, that I've done. But to me, the data piece is the, it's the key kind of to the whole thing. 
Yeah, and it's interesting when um, when we wrote the book, one of the things that we thought about was what is the path of least resistance? Um, because <laughs> when we started writing it, the you know thought of all the revenue teams rolling into one person and that you know a former marketer could be that person like it was still a little taboo and and in some circles people are still like i don't get it but you know in thinking about getting there leading with that operations function and starting by centralizing ops you know so that revops is truly you know marketing sales cs like all under one umbrella even if there were still multiple leaders being like the big game changer in the process. So it's lovely to hear that, you know, that was a, a key win in like figuring out the data and, and making sure all these things were seamless in that process. Um, so it's sort of like a validation of like, okay, this is what we're seeing in practice. Um, so I want to shift a little bit and Without going, you know, into anything proprietary, like I don't want to, you know, divulge like real numbers or anything, but I want to hear just more at a high level since you've, because I know you're less than a year in, but have already seen some major wins. Um, what have been some of the outcomes that you've seen since you've moved into this role and have been able to focus across revenue? Well, uh, I... Yeah. So I doubled the revenue from the quarter, quarter over quarter, um, the first full quarter that I was in, I took over, um, like it, it, toward the end of a, a quarter. Um, so my first full quarter in, I doubled the revenue there. And then, um, my second full quarter, which I just finished, which was also the end of our fiscal year, uh, I, we increased it. I want to say it, I think it was 60%. Um, I don't have the exact number, 58, something like that. Uh, I was just trying to do the math um, before we got on to, to figure that out. I was like, I don't have this off the top of my head. Um, but it was a really good quarter, really good fiscal year end for us. And Q1 is looking great. The pipeline is where it needs to be. And I think that that, you know, it's funny, I'll tell you this. Um, it, it's not super easy to make the transition, right? Because when you're a CMO and you're a marketer and you go to run a bunch of salespeople, if you don't have a sales background, well, there's there's pushback, right? It's like, oh my God, here comes a marketing person trying to tell a salesperson what to do. And I, we have we have one person who's been there for over three years and he's amazing. And he said, you know, I gotta tell you something. When you when you first came over, I was thinking, oh man, I gotta basically train up this new leader on sales. She doesn't know anything about sales. And while I had managed SDRs in the past under demand gen, I had not managed AEs. And uh, he's like, but now that we've been through the trenches a couple of times, he's like, I feel like you get it now. <laughs> I, he's like, I have a new respect for you. And I thought, oh, amen. Um, it's just so interesting because I think that that is a challenge that any CMO going to sales and running revenue is gonna come across if you don't have a sales background. Um, and I think the same is true when a CRO uh, has marketing underneath them and they've never run marketing. A CMO sometimes reports into a CRO in, in functions or a VP of marketing reports into a CRO and they feel some challenges too on that side. So I, I do think that it, 
there's a little bit of, of, of proving yourself in, in any role. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's definitely a hurdle that I had to get over. And, you know, I've been there in this role almost eight months going on nine, I guess. And, uh, I finally feel like it took me about six months to get over that hurdle, but I'm over it. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's one of the things like, because, you know, when you think about having a single revenue leader, that is the consistent concern. Like I have heard an abundant number of C CMOs that say, if you're going to report into the CRO, like that's a red flag, you should run for the hills. And I understand where the sentiment comes from, because there are a lot of CROs that really are heads of sales that just have the CRO title. Um, yeah. And so they have no interest in really understanding marketing or, you know, making the best decisions like they really are a salesperson. And then they got these other divisions, you know, these other functions. And I don't believe in that. Um, but what you're saying is the exact reason why I believe that, you know, a redefined version of CRO, which is truly a revenue leader, is a marketer is, you know, best poised to do that because of all the things that you've said. Like, although you had never, you know, run or, or managed AEs, you had at least managed SDRs, which is some experience in, you know, what sales is doing, even if it's just more on the front end. And you talked about, you know, being in operations and, and fully understanding the CS function. And so I agree completely that, you know, that um, diversified background is a place where, yes, there's going to be gaps that you got to learn, you got to overcome, but you're coming in with a foundation that I don't feel any other revenue leader has. Like, you know, CS tends to be more isolated in what they're doing, sales you know, is generally very just sales focused. Um, do you feel like, I'm just curious if, you know, in thinking about the bigger picture and other organizations trying to go to this model, would you agree or do you see it differently? Do you think everyone is kind of equally positioned to be able to do this as effect effectively as you have? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think everybody is positioned to do it. It also doesn't necessarily make natural sense for everyone. I think it, um, I know there's only a handful that I know of the CMOs that move, made the move to CRO. Some of them have sales backgrounds already um, or previously, and then they became CMO and they, you know, got their feet wet in the trenches in, in marketing and and then they went back to you know the transition of CRO and and, and now running it all. Um, I think if you've operationalized sales or marketing, you have a better understanding. If you're a a, a CMO, I feel like CMOs come up through the ranks in in one of three ways. Right, you come up either through demand gen, uh, brand, uh, or product marketing. Right, those are usually the three. It's rare that you are you come from a different um, sales or customer success or finance or come from some other in, part of it of the org to become CMO. Usually you come up through product marketing, brand or, or demand gen. Um, and so if you come up through demand gen, you, it makes a bit more sense because you really understand the flow of 
you know, the process of a lead to an MQL to, to, to an opportunity. Um, brand folks, I think, have would have a tougher time making the transition. And I'm not sure that brand people would want that role, um, but maybe. Uh, so I don't want to deter anybody who's interested. Uh, product marketing folks, I'm not sure um, if it would make sense. Again, I do think you have to have some semblance of understanding the process. I think product marketing people are really great storytellers. And I think as part of any C-suite, you have to be a good storyteller. So I think that that uh, certainly would help, but you really have to understand and want to understand the, the whole big picture, how everything works together. You know, just because marketing is crushing their number, if sales isn't, there's a reason for that and understanding what that is, or if sales and marketing are crushing their numbers, but but re but renewals or whatever are not happening on the CS side. There's a reason for that. So what what exactly is happening? And just understanding that bigger picture, I think you make a really good point there that I, I do think it depends. Awesome. Well, talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes. <laughs> and so in Thank traditional you. therapy, the therapist gives the client some homework, but here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. And so I'd like to ask if anyone listening is in a CMO or VP of marketing role and desire to follow the same path that you have in leading all of revenue, what's your one thing? Where would you suggest they start in either making that transition or evaluating that it's right for them? Like what would be the next action for, you know, anyone listening who your story has really resonated with them? I think you would need to get in the trenches with sales, like on, on a deal, like ask to shadow somebody, not just listen to a gong call because everybody can listen to a gong call, but literally get in the trenches and see if you can shadow a salesperson from like start to finish. Um, to really determine first if that's something that you want to do, right? And then from there, um, you know, really having, seeing if you really understand the bigger picture of what's happening across the org from a data perspective, like, do you have insight? Do you understand that? Um, to me, those are the two things that I think that, that would really help you decide if you want to do it. And then if you're going to do it, then you definitely need to understand the data piece. Awesome. Well, Tracy, I have enjoyed our discussion, but that's our time for today. Um, before we go, tell our audience how they can connect with you. Oh, on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there. Awesome. Well, we will make sure to link to your LinkedIn. Um, thank you again for joining me. I have learned lots about your uh, transition and, and your career. And I think there's lots of key nuggets and takeaways from this discussion for anyone at any stage in, in trying to drive their career forward and even, you know, figure out that what I want to be when I grow up as we all move through. I'm still growing up. I don't know about you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know that it ever really stops. Um, well, thanks, everyone, for joining me today. I hope you have enjoyed my conversation with Tracy. Can't believe we're at the end. Until next time, see you later. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. 
We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.